Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders to identify disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that our guest today is Martin Lanick, and we're going to be talking about repairing the broken rung overcoming bias in the leadership pipeline. Martin's the author of an international bestseller, The Leader Habit. He serves as the CEO of Pinsight, a Denver-based consulting firm that delivers virtual leadership solutions to give company the unbiased insights they need to make the most important talent decisions, who they're hiring, developing, and promoting. Martin is also the co-author of a research report, Repairing the Broken Rung, Overcoming Bias in the Leadership Pipeline, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Organizations must rethink how they identify future leaders. Today's practices are often influenced by unconscious bias and result in unintentional discrimination, leaving potentially more capable talent behind. If organizations fix the broken rung, people will be promoted based on merit, not gender or race, and diversity will be enhanced. Martin joins the program today to discuss the comprehensive study of fairness and how organizations prepare the next generation of leaders. So Martin, thank you so much for joining. This is the most timely topic I can imagine. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. And you're absolutely correct, given what's going on in the world today. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners about yourself beyond what I've already shared? Um, Perhaps my academic background. So I'm an industrial organization psychologist by training. Perfect. And and that gives you a lot of qualification to do this kind of research in an, in an academically rigorous way. Exactly, yes. But I also want to highlight our academic partners in this research, and uh, those are coming from Purdue University and George Mason University. So it was ah. a collaboration indeed. Cool. And again, just because I'm a little biased toward academic rigor, I really appreciate having people who understand how to do research effectively and without bias. Well, I think we all try, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be, you know, that would be the, the ideal to strive for to remove all the bias from research as well. So you just released a new research report on bias in the leadership pipeline called Repairing the Broken Rung. Let's start with what's the broken rung? Sure. So the broken rung has actually been identified um, in a previous research study. Um, and um, uh, 
that there was a, a, a key finding that women are just being promoted at lower rates than men. And it all starts at the first step. So going from an individual contributor to a team leader or, or manager, that's where the rank seems to be broken. And we see that women are being promoted at much lower rates than men. Um, and then as you just move up the leadership pipeline to the C-suite, it just gets exacerbated because you're starting with disproportionately less women um, in the first level management roles to begin with. So that is what the broken rung is. And our question was, well, how does this happen? Because we know that um, today, a lot of organizations have high potential programs or emerging leader programs. So when it comes to uh, the decision uh, to promote someone, um, probably there has been already some work that happened a year prior, maybe even two years prior to that, where the organization has been preparing select few individuals who they flagged as high potentials. And the organization has been investing disproportionately more money in their development and resources. So that was our research question. You know, is it really just the, at the point of the promotion that the rung is broken or uh, is it happen, does it happen much earlier in the process? And so tell us a little bit more about the data collection. It looks like you collected from 328 managers and 129 organizations um, and that suggested that when managers identify high potentials, they're leaving more capable talent behind. Uh, why is this happening uh, for both women and minorities? And I realize, again, we are, um, we are recording this immediately post the George Floyd uh, riots and demonstrations. And um, we can't do a, an interview without mentioning that, that women and people of color of all, all shades have been treated differently, not only by the police, but also in business hiring and promotion practices. And um, I am excited that you are here to talk about it and help us see from a research perspective, what actions can each of us take to actually move the needle toward not only diversity, but inclusion and equity? Yeah, I, th I think this is that's it's very timely, um, in, indeed. Um, so, this the, at least in the the leadership and the promotion succession planning space, uh, what we found is that the problem boils down to unconscious bias. For um, for managers, male and female, who are making the decisions about who has high potential uh, to move into a leadership position and who does not have potential to, to move into leadership positions. Um, all, all of us have this unconscious bias that we uncovered in, in our research. So we found, for example, that managers are three times more likely to identify men as having leadership potential than women. And they're two times more likely to identify white men than black men as having leadership potential. And at the same time, we found that 90%, almost 90% of organizations solely rely on management to make these decisions. And whether it's a name in an envelope, so a completely 
you know, unstructured process, or they might have a structured process in place where they are doing nine box ratings or talent reviews or some kind of um, performance ratings. Um, in all cases, this bias really um, comes into play and, and we picked up on it in our research. So even though people are doing structured processes, the bias is still coming in. Yes, absolutely. Because it's still, you know, when you are evaluating um, your team members as a manager, um, it, it is that this unconscious bias is creeping into, into that. So um, what we have identified is a need for objective um, completely different type of data uh, that the managers can use to uh, put in checks and balances for their own ratings. So I want to hear about the the data and for our listeners who may not be well grounded in the definition of unconscious bias, mm-hmm. would you please refresh uh, folks on, on how do you define that? Sure. So unconscious bias are uh, preferences or shortcuts that our brains make uh, based on learning um, over over the years. And what makes it unconscious is that we're not necessarily aware when uh, these biases or these these underlying preferences are coming into play. So, for example, you know you might be working as a manager with five individuals, and uh, if if you if you have this underlying preference or this this mental image of a leader as a white man, then you will unconsciously prefer your colleague who is a white man, and you will give him more resources, you'll spend more time with him, you will mentor him more, coach him more, because you deep inside believe that this person has leadership potential. But that's all just based on gut feelings and um, your preferences that perhaps you might not be even aware of. Um, But this could be an example of how it actually plays out in the workplace. And we see not only in race and ethnicity and gender, but we also see it in attractive and tall and fit several other characteristics that don't often get mentioned as much. Yes, absolutely. And then there's the like me bias as well. So we all prefer people who look like us and act like us and have the come from the same neighborhoods, have the same set of values. Um, So that is also fueling into these biases. So immediately, you know, the the bias, the way I think about it, it's who... What, what creates trust immediately, you know, and it's that similarity, it's the comfort, somebody you feel uh, comfortable with, um, and, mm-hmm. and that, that gives you that feeling of trust. And psychological safety? Absolutely, yes. Okay. So you mentioned just a, a minute ago then that you have some approaches that are based on your research that will help move beyond this bias. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, so um, um, there are several different recommendations that that we have identified. And um, the first is really building as much structure into the process as you can. So we know that the most bias is going to be present when the process of identifying or nominating people for high potential programs or succession plans or promotions, when there there are no checks and balances. So when you give 
um, managers free discretion to choose whoever they want. That's when the bias is going to be at the highest. And I think now, when it's even more difficult to observe employees' performance from this, this working from home environment, um, uh, we might perhaps see even more bias creeping into these decisions. Um, so the more rigor and the more structure you can put into place, um, the more you are likely to control the bias. For example, um, you can start identifying characteristics. So across your organization, how do you really define high potential or potential for leadership? What are the specific behaviors that a person is exhibiting that tell the manager, yes, this individual has uh, potential to move up in the organization and we should invest in this individual? Um, and then you can go all the way to um, introduce some psychometric assessments. Like we know, for instance, that certain personality traits like conscientiousness and extroversion predict whether somebody is going to be successful in a leadership role. Similarly, we know that cognitive ability or intelligence actually is a really good predictor of whether somebody can learn new information and can succeed um, in a bigger role. Um, and then all the way uh, up to what we would call an assessment center, which is a um, I think of it as kind of a blind audition. So you can set up a simulation of um, a leadership role, and then you can invite people to go through the simulation. And through a demonstration of their skill set, you can actually make the evaluation whether they do have leadership potential or they don't. Right. I think that's really helpful. So one of the things I wonder, just based on my work, is do these assessments and simulations take into account developmental psychology so we're not sifting out people who are developmentally advanced so they'd pass the cognitive, mm-hmm. but, but they might have post-conventional or unconventional uncon- thoughts and behaviors that actually would cause them to be more effective, not less. Yes, sure. So that's why um, the you know the, the best recommendation always is to collect multiple data points. So um, okay. the same way you do you know assessment of cognitive, then personality, then you measure certain competencies or behaviors in a simulation, and then you combine all of that data together to arrive at the truth. Okay, I, and just the reason I ask that is I've coached people who were have gone through, and I'm a big fan of assessment, so I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't assess people, but they've gone through assessments that were not as comprehensive as they needed to be, and one that ended up being a, a brilliant employee for me, she was identified as a hiring mistake, and it, it was an assessment that was overweighting some fairly conventional factors and did not look at things like emotional intelligence and independent thinking and and some of those factors that caused her to be identified as a hiring mistake. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point, Maureen. With every assessment, you have to do your due diligence when you use it to make sure that it's measuring the right things, it has research evidence behind it, it's valid, it's reliable. But even the most valid and reliable assessment um, is going to result in errors because we are dealing with people. This is not physics. When you take a ruler you mm-hmm. know, and you measure a piece yeah. of paper, it's always going to be the same. Um, 
with people, it doesn't work that way. Um, so the assessments are validated on a group level. So um, think of it as for a majority of the time, it's going to give you the the right data and it's going to give you a good information about the individual but there are going to be a few cases here and there that where the assessment is just not correct and that is absolutely normal and accepted uh, but the validation evidence is based on a group so for the most part it is correct and it tells you the, the right information I think that's a, a really important point, though, for listeners to be aware of, because I think many of us look at assessment results and don't think that there could be a 5% margin of error or 10% margin of error, that, that in fact, we need to still apply our own independent judgment to the assessments, that while they're brilliant and helping us overcome bias, we don't follow them blindly. Yeah, it's one data point, and that's how we should understand them. So you compare the data point with your observation, and um, it really forces you to think, you know, am I, am I thinking clearly here? Is my bias creeping in? Is the assessment correct? Do I agree with it? Um, so it is, and it should be considered one data point. Perfect. So at this point, we're going to go on break. We are Maureen Metcalf and Martin Lanick, and we are talking about the broken rung and repairing it, overcome bias, overcoming bias in the leadership pipeline. So I would encourage our listeners during the break to think about, can you identify one person within your current or past organization who you think would have been a good candidate for promotion, but they were not considered in that candidate pool or they didn't receive the promotion. So we will be right back. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're talking about repairing the broken rung, overcoming bias in the leadership pipeline, and our expert and researcher is Martin Lanik. And so, during our break, I invited people to think about if you have personally witnessed folks in your organization being selected at people different than you might have selected. And I realize there are lots of reasons for that. It's not always bias. And sometimes we as peers don't see what our bosses see. But I invited you to think about that because I think we often do see some of what they've missed. So, Martin, let's talk about highlighting the composition of high potentials. You talked about your research going into to detail on, on that topic. Yes, sure. Um, so um, we are talking about the, the broken rung and the key finding from our research is that majority of organizations are relying on managerial discretion when they're identifying people who then um, they invest more resources in and uh, they eventually end up promoting. And most organizations, these are called either high potential programs or emerging leader programs. And um, what we actually found is that um, there, is, there are disproportionately more men in today's high potential programs. Uh, for instance, we found that there are 63% men versus 37% women. But when you look at the employee population total, it's about 50-50 split. So this tells us that organizations end up investing um, uh, almost twice as much in men than women um, when it comes to their development and preparing them for leadership positions. Um, and this, the, the, the key for me here is that, you know, the, the, the problem might not necessarily be at the time of promotion. So when you are deciding who you should promote, but actually our research suggests that the problem happens maybe a year, even two years before the promotion, because, um, Organizations have already created unequal situation for men and women where they have been um, investing in men so much more and grooming them for a promotion as opposed to women. So these are, and, and um, what kind of resources am I talking about here? We know that organizations uh, spend disproportionately more on developing high potential employees. So these are the folks who get the expensive executive coach. They get those limited high visibility projects in the organization. They get these special training and development resources that is not available to all the employees in the organization. And so maybe inadvertently, the organizations are already creating an uneven playing field where men tend to be more prepared for those leadership positions than women. So let's shift for a moment to diversity programs. And then I want to go back. I, I keep wanting to go to solutions before we talk about the whole problem. <laughs> um, many organizations already have diversity programs. Are they working or not? And help our listeners and me understand a little bit about why is this bias persisting and and I'll ask that in the context of I started working over 30 years ago. And when I started in finance, there 
there was a, a perception of bias that I, I believe was an accurate perception. But now we're decades in. Why is this still happening, especially if we are half of the population? Yeah, I think that's such an important question. And we've been trying to solve this. And I think that's the frustrating part is that you know, this is not a new topic. We've been talking about this for decades. And corporate America has been making pledges for decades and investing in diversity. And here we are. You know, we started this research end of 2019. So this data is maybe six months old. Um, and here we are just finding finding the same thing. Um, so to your first question, do diversity programs work? Um, I think it really depends on how you evaluate their effectiveness. Um, I would say they work from an awareness perspective because um, we have been, ex we, I think the general public now is aware of unconscious biases, discrimination, you know, all these, all these hot topics. So from an awareness perspective, the diversity programs have certainly helped. I think then once we start evaluating it from a behavioral perspective, right? So are there actual changes or from an outcomes even perspective, uh, the results would be a bit more mixed. So yes, we are aware of it, but are we changing our behavior as a society? That's the tougher one. I always use the analogy of, um, you know, a treadmill so, or, or, um, or dieting. So we know that if you want to lose weight, you got to use the treadmill or you've got to diet. But that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily do it. So there's a big distinction between being aware of something and then actually changing your behavior. So I think that's where the diversity programs today are falling short. At, and that's at least what our research is suggesting. So do you see things like women-only or minority-only programs as helpful? And I, I've struggled with this only because if I pull myself out of the program with the people who are in power, then I'm even more invisible. But is there value to training me with other people who are struggling with the same challenges I have? I would almost rephrase that question. So in my mind, the problem is not necessarily, um, you know, gender or race. I think the problem is that we don't make these decisions based on merit, <laughs> right? If we were to really make these decisions, uh, I, what I mean by these decisions, so if we were to make promotion, hiring decisions or succession planning decisions, based on merit, um, we would see perhaps even more women in leadership positions than men. That's at least what some our, our research shows, that women tend to be slightly stronger in a lot of these um, people leadership type of competencies. Um, so I, I think, um, and what our research tends to suggest is the problem is that we're not basing these decisions based on merit uh, we are not selecting the most talented people because our unconscious bias is creeping in and it's coloring our perception. So is unconscious bias then the biggest problem or is this yet another sticky problem that ha or, or yeah, the complex problem that has multiple causal factors? 
Oh, it's a, it's a very, very complex problem. I think this is one, one big contributing factor here. Okay. Uh, I think the other contributing, and they kind of go, go hand in hand. So we know that there is unconscious bias. We know that most managers, even women managers, tend to prefer men <laughs> as, mm-hmm. or see men as having leadership potential than, than women. It's not, the effect is not as strong as for male managers, but the effect is still there. So um, one side of the problem is the unconscious bias that we know most managers have. The other side is that we are relying solely on manager discretion when it comes to making these important decisions about who is groomed for leadership position and who is promoted. So the combination of the two is is really what what is probably one of the biggest contributors mm-hmm. to the issue. Well, and and the other thing that I'm aware of now is some of the bias is not unconscious. Yes, indeed. Uh, we would like to believe most people are good and fair, and yet in watching some of the issues unfolding right now, hearing folks in power who say, I want to keep power and I want to keep people who look like me in power, it is troubling. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely troubling. You know, and, and in that vein, I think when, when you look at the level of discrimination, whether we call it intentional or unintentional in organizations, um, we have found that um, you know, almost half of organizations that we studied are actually showing discrimination um, against women and um, against people of color in these important decisions that impact your career growth, your, um, your life in general as an employee. Half. Yes, more than, and uh, that's half for women, half of organizations are showing discrimination against women, and then almost two-thirds are showing discrimination against racial minorities in succession planning. I want to just give people a minute to take that in because that is that is data that absolutely supports the kind of issues we're seeing with police forces, and we, I assume this was pervasive, not just police. And and so many of us are asking the question, what do I do? Which may be why I'm trying to jump into what do we do? Um, Because I think there are a lot of us who really are committed to finally moving the needle and improving diversity, inclusion, and equity, not having just the optics of the right numbers, but the right opportunities and ability to contribute. We, we know all of the research suggests that diversity of points of view and experience and ethnicity and gender make better results in organizations. So if that is true, and yet we are consciously and unconsciously continuing to, to take steps that make us less effective and feel like a society that is unjust. 
we have to use this time in history to, to address the, the questions. Absolutely, Marie. And it's, uh, um, you know, I think both of us are even struggling to come up with words uh, mm-hmm. with, with how difficult the situation is and, and talking about this topic today. Um, the, the one thing when, as we are starting to talk about solutions, I think the, the ultimate thing is, is just to break this self-perpetuating cycle that we see in corporate America. We see that men hold more managerial positions today. But at the same time, these men who hold more managerial positions are the one who are making decisions about their employees. And mm-hmm. they are deciding who has leadership potential, who doesn't. Based on this, we know that these um, managers are showing unconscious bias favoring white men when deciding who has leadership potential. As a result, more men end up being identified as having leadership potential. So the organization invests more in their development, disproportionately more than anybody else in the organization. And so when it comes to the time of a promotion, of course, they are going to be having an an advantageous place because they've spent two years or a year preparing specifically for that promotion. So they end up being promoted. And here we are again with more men in managerial positions. So we need to figure out how to break this cycle that just keeps repeating over and over. So I'd like to go on break now. And after we come back, let's spend a longer segment talking about concrete solutions that you and I can take and all of our listeners can take. I would love for everyone to walk away from this interview with at least one action step they can put into practice this week to move the needle. Yeah, that sounds great. So we will be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Martin Lanik, and we're talking about repairing the broken rung, overcoming bias in the leadership pipeline. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership. Co-creating our future. 
To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Martin Lanik, and we're talking about repairing the broken rung, overcoming bias in the leadership pipeline. So, Martin, we're going to focus on uh, both the results of your survey and, uh, and research and also the solutions. So, repairing the broken rung includes a five-step solution based on your research for fixing the problem of bias in the leadership pipeline. The first step is to monitor balance in emerging leader programs with the same rigor applied to hiring decisions. What kind of data should companies be looking at? Yeah, so I think as a field, um, we have done a pretty good job uh, monitoring adverse impact and the disproportionate rates of selecting uh, people from different uh, protected groups. Um, generally, there are some systems and processes in place in the talent acquisition hiring space, but we have been lagging in the internal talent management space. Um, so I think the first step then is just to get the data and see where your organization is today. So what you can do immediately, for instance, if you are using like a nine box exercise um, for ratings of performance and potential, you can look at the selection rates of men versus women into high potential programs or um, as you are placing them on succession plans. And if you want to learn specifically how to do this, you can go to repairtherung.com and download the study. And we have there um, a simple process you can follow for how to actually mathematically calculate the selection rates for men and women and um, uh, other protected groups um, that will give you the initial data of whether um, you have an issue or problem in high potential selection or succession planning. So what was the website again? So it's repairtherung.com. Repairtherung.com. Okay, great. Um, the other term you use that not everyone will know is nine bucks. Yes. Can you give a quick... Yes, yes, a quick, I realize, you know, the minute I said it, I realized that that is probably not everybody knows it. So a nine box is a very popular tool that organizations use to sort uh, employees in nine different boxes based on performance and potential. So if you picture nine boxes on the uh, x-axis, you would have usually performance that could be low, medium, high. And then on the y-axis, you would have potential, high, medium, low. And based on this, managers would decide where which box you fit in. Are you a high performer, high potential, or maybe a low performer, low potential type of employee? So this is a, a very popular way how to quickly sort employees into different buckets so that you can quickly identify who are the high performers, the high potentials, and then start making decisions about employees' future. And so this is where having very precise and data-driven criteria for what high potential looks like is invaluable. 
Absolutely. Not only that, but as we'll talk in in, in a few minutes here, also start bringing in outside more objective data to help managers um, with these decisions. Great. Um, so ne- next, let's talk about bias training. You recommend bias training. And for many organizations, this is already happening. Is it not enough or is the training not working? I think I'm going to rephrase your question again. So yes, it okay. is. <laughs> it is. It is happening in a lot of organizations and it is working. But I think the important part is let's be clear for its intention. So what bias training does, it increases employees' awareness, right? So it increases our Mm -hmm. awareness that we are biased and we have bias and we need to keep it in check. You cannot train bias out of people. So that is not the intention of the training. Um, These biases, a lot of these biases are unconscious. Even people... Even social scientists, researchers who dedicate their entire careers to studying these bias, when it comes to some of these tests, they still show that unconscious bias. So no matter the amount of training you put into place, it is helpful and it's very good from an awareness perspective, but it's not the, the silver bullet. This alone is not going to solve the problem because you cannot train bias out of people. You can just make them aware that these biases exist. You can give them examples for what are the situation when the bias is more likely to creep up, but it doesn't mean that the person will be just able to turn it off. And so that's also a critical point that I can't just have a checklist. Okay, did the unconscious bias training work done? This is a, uh, an awareness that I as the leader or I as any of our listeners, participants need to be continually vigilant about, just like your comment about exercising and dieting. I can't go on a diet, lose weight, and then be done, or I end up back to where I was. I would even say so where I, the metaphor I would use with bias training is, you know, having maybe the initial session with a personal trainer and putting a plan together and then stopping there, right? It's okay. just the beginning. It's just the awareness. Okay. So in order to solve the problem, in order to lose weight, I have to, um, I have to, you know, put myself on this meal plan and this exercise plan, but you cannot just stop there. That's the awareness part. You have to then move to the behavior, and that's the more difficult part. Okay, great. So then you advise that high potential and successor selection be based on scientifically identified selection criteria. What would some of these criteria be? And I believe this is where you were saying this connects back to the nine box. Yes, correct. So um, one way and, and probably the, the easiest way is just to ask managers based on their observations, based on their gut feelings to uh, start making these judgments of who has leadership potential, who doesn't, who is a high performer, who is a low performer. Um, but we know that bias is going to creep into, into this process that is not as rigorous. So now we can start turning up the rigor a bit. And we can do this in, in multiple ways. The first, probably easiest, is just to sit down and very specifically identify what are the criteria for a high potential? What does it look like when somebody is showing signs of leadership potential? 
in their role. So what are the things that you should be looking for? And now asking managers to make ratings on those specific competencies or characteristics. So for example, you may say that customer focus is very critical in the organization and that um, this is something that we know is highly predictive of uh, a good leader. So as managers are making assessments of who has leadership potential, who doesn't have leadership potential, this would be one criterion that we would ask them to rate. So we would define what does you know, low customer success look like, medium customer success, high customer success, so they could actually picture it and then they could compare uh, employees to these standards. So that's the way how you can start turning up the rigor in these uh, processes. And I could get customer feedback to tell me how my customers rank each of my leaders or each of my potential folks. Yes, absolutely, Maureen. So the more you can start bringing in outside data to help managers in this decision process, um, the more likely you are to arrive at the truth. Okay. I use 360 degree feedback assessments often, and I realize with every assessment there is challenge, but having a a good cross section of people is also something I find useful because I can see where these behaviors are, are playing out and where they're not and where the positive ones show and where the negative ones show. Yes, absolutely. So the more more data you can bring, again, to this decision process, so like in your case with a 360-degree assessment, you know, the more data points that you can trust and you can say, well, this is you know, not just somebody uh, giving a praise to the individual, but this is a real assessment and the individual is being honest responding to that 360. So the more you can trust that and the more, more data points you have that all point to in the same direction, the more confident you can be that you are arriving at the truth. Great. Okay. So let's go on to the next one. Orchestras are now using blind auditions, so decisions are made based on performance rather than other factors. In your Repairing the Broken Wrong research, you write that this strategy can be used in business as well. What does this look like in a business setting? Yeah, blind auditions, you know, they've been around. um, And it's a fascinating story, actually, how they help diversity in symphony orchestras, because the minute you you don't see the performer and you're just listening to their music, uh, you're removing the bias, right? Uh, So how can you actually do this in an organization? Um, So we've worked with several companies where we have uh, built a simulation of uh, the leadership position. So for instance, if you are evaluating um, your employees and you're trying to identify the ones that have potential to move into a mid-level leadership, like a director, vice president type of role. So you can actually set up a simulation um, of that role. And then for, in our case, half a day, you can place a leader into that simulation. So um, what this would look like is you would send them some emails that they have to respond to. You might put them in front of a role player that is pretending to be an angry customer or an underperforming Mm. employee. Um, And you standardize these types of situations. And then you would have independent raters and multiple independent raters, like in your example of a 360, that 
are actually watching your employees go through this standardized process, standardized simulation. Um, and then the raters are rating them on the criteria that you have identified are necessary for success. Like, um, you know, are they making good decisions? Can they plan and organize? How are they responding to customer needs? All these um, important factors and skills that you know are necessary for success in the leadership position. So this would be a type of blind addition. And we know from research that this form of assessment is the most predictive assessment um, ah. of future success because you are not relying on other people's opinions. You are not relying on the person's opinion. You're actually watching the individual perform in a standardized situation. Okay, so it takes out all of the somebody's having a bad day or someone got a different opportunity, so, so it's not really the same comparison. Absolutely, that's one. But it also, when you, you know, we talked about uh, intelligence tests or personality tests, those are self-reports. So they rely on the knowledge of the individual and their self-insight, mm. right? especially the personality test. So uh, they're very transparent. So if, and we know we all have biases, that's been the running theme through uh, mm. our, our interview today. So our own biases about ourselves, of course, creep into those personality assessments as well. So having these blind additions, um, having these simulations, um, really gets around that because you see the person really perform in the job or as close to it as possible. Great. Thank you. So on to the next question. Has the economic crisis created by the corona pandemic impacted the unconscious bias your study uncovered? Um, very good question again. Um, this bias, as we know, has been around for a long, long time. Um, it's despite all our efforts and investment in diversity programs, our data from six months ago shows that it's still here. It's still happening in corporate America. Um, I am not quite sure. I think time will tell how this pandemic and the changes in work structure is impacting the bias. You know, I can, I can put some hypotheses forward. For instance, um, on one hand, we might see more bias in these decisions because um, a lot of managers are now struggling with what does good performance and potential look like in this new world when employees are working from home? You don't have as much time to observe uh, or opportunities even to observe the performance of employees. So how do you really evaluate somebody's performance if you cannot see them on a daily basis? Um, so that could suggest that perhaps there's more opportunities for bias to creep in because you know, you're more going to rely on your gut rather than uh, real-time observations of performance. On the other hand, you know, we could make the, uh, I could see it going also the other way where um, now that you cannot necessarily as a manager observe your employees, your entire evaluation of their performance and potential has to be based on their outcomes, right? What they produce, because those are the things that you will be more visible to you. Um, so perhaps that could suggest that there will be, 
there would be less bias in the decisions. But I think it's a very, very important question and time will definitely tell which direction this will go. So you mentioned remote working. Is there a way remote managers can ensure that they're assessing their teams with less bias? I would say yes. Um, and um, the, the key there is um, to have a structure, um, you know, and have a, have a very structured way how you are assessing and how you are evaluating um, your employees. Um, so, for instance, the same we know from research that, uh, that the same behaviors that um, work in face-to-face or are effective in face-to-face environment are also important in leadership perspective, at least in a virtual leadership type of environment. The only difference is that the behaviors have to be stronger. So as a leader, you have to be more visible, louder, uh, more obvious. Um, so the same criteria that you have used in face-to-face evaluation, um, you can also use in a virtual uh, evaluation. I think that the caveat there would be just to make sure that you have enough opportunities to observe those behaviors. Um, So uh, you might want to have um, more more, um, frequent meetings, um, just more frequent opportunities that you can observe these behaviors in your employees. Great. Thank you. So we're going to move toward closing. I want to make sure that you, in the next minute, give our listeners contact information so they can find your research and the tools you proposed. Yes, absolutely. So if you go to pinsight.com, you'll be able to learn more about our organization and our specialty, as you mentioned, Marine, is um, uh, online leadership solutions. So these blind auditions um, that I mentioned or different types of leadership assessment and development programs. We work with uh, many organizations around the world to help them uh, reduce bias in the key decisions of who they hire, who they promote, um, and then who they develop. So again, the website is pinsight.com. Uh, and the research, the Repairing the Broken Rung, research you can find at repairtherunk.com and you can download the whole study there um, to get all the all the information that we cover today. Great. So just in summary, the authors Martin and the other authors of Repairing the Broken Wrong have recommended a five-step solution for breaking the cycle of bias. Leaders need to first get the data, roll out bias training for everyone, turn up the rigor on how the promotion process is executed, identify selection criteria by creating a formula based on science, and finally have blind auditions to give them more objective data about employees' readiness and future potential. So to our listeners, I hope that you heard something that you can put into practice immediately today, and I strongly encourage you to go to Martin's site and review the research, review the the action steps, and put a plan in place so that you are selecting people for succession who have the biggest impact. Thank you for listening to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. We encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook, like the show, and even more importantly, put it in action and come back and listen to more. Thank you for your leadership in this very precious time in our world. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Martin. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.